0: Welcome to the podcast. Great, uh, great podcast for you today. Uh, I, I kind of start out with a, a little bit of an angry rant uh, on the mainstream media and, uh, and and their coverage uh this week on several things also we talked about uh the 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 cancel culture and what comes next we have bill o'reilly on with us he has some interesting things about donald trump and rudy giuliani and a great story about beto you don't want to miss also charlie kirk kind of made me scratch my head and think you know what it might be buddha judge and what that means all on today's podcast
1: You're listening to
2: the best of the Glenn Beck program.
0: Elijah Cummings has passed away. Now, Elijah Cummings is, is, has never been a guy that I've agreed with politically, but I've had respect for Elijah Cummings and what he has accomplished in his life. Um, Let me just let me just give you a little bit here. Democratic congressman from Maryland who gained national attention for his principled stands on politically charged issues in the House, his calming effect on anti-police riots in Baltimore. Uh, He died Thursday morning at Gilchrist Hospital Care, Johns Hopkins affiliate in Baltimore. He was 68 after ongoing an unspecified medical procedure. The Democratic leader did not return to his office this week, according to The Sun a statement from his office as he passed away due to complications concerning a long-standing health challenge mr cummings was the chairman of the house oversight and reform committee and a leading figure in the trump impeachment inquiry born to a family in southern uh, to uh, southern sharecroppers and baptist preachers he grew up in a racially fractured Baltimore in the '50s and '60s. At eleven at eleven, he helped integrate a local swimming pool while being attacked with bottles and rocks. Perry Mason, the popular TV series about fictional defense lawyer, inspired him to enter the legal profession. Many men in my neighborhood were going to do refor- were going to reform school. Uh, Though I didn't uh, completely know what reform school was, I knew that Perry Mason won a lot of cases. I also thought that these young men probably needed lawyers. He became the youngest chairman of the Legislative Black Caucus, yada, yada, yada. He has been a force for good much of his life. He has also taken stands uh, as a legislator that I disagree with. But I just, I just, I think this is an insult from the Washington Post. Washington Post, Representative Elijah Cummings, Democratic leader and regular Trump target, dies at 68. You know, I was a target of the president. He was a target of mine for a while. If I die today and somebody writes about that in the headline really that's what my life was worth my life was worth that I'm not 68 he was 68 he's done many many things that I can't even come close to accomplishing and that's the way the post honors him I think it's an insult our condolences to his family And it is a loss to the country. Now let me talk about the Post and the mainstream media. He was a regular Trump target? What do you mean by that? Are you saying the president was targeting him? Did the president kill him? It's an undisclosed problem. B- was he shot by the president? Because I know we're not supposed to use the word target. Oh, ho, 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 we learned our lesson, didn't we? Mainstream media. We don't ever use the word target as, as, as some way of saying, hey, we should look into this, or we should focus our energies here, or we're talking about this particular person. No, no. In the mainstream media, we all learned our lesson that targeting somebody only means killing them. Now, I hope, Washington Post, that you understand by using the words target that Trump targeted him. You are encouraging somebody out there to target him still. I hope they have security on the gravestone because somebody might just shoot it up even though he's already dead because you use the word target. Seems ridiculous, doesn't it? Washington Post. I am so tired. It's a waste of energy to talk about these people, to talk about their hypocrisy. I listened to the New York Times Daily this morning. I, blood was shooting out of my eye. I want you to know the only reason why I listen to it, the only reason why I read this crap is so you don't have to. I want to know what the other side is saying. I want to understand their argument. I want to understand where they're coming from, and they just can't see their own hypocrisy. Go ahead. Call me a hypocrite on anything. Oh, Glenn Beck, he was against Donald Trump when he was was running. Now his business was falling apart, and so he... No, that wasn't it. I told you during the campaign. If the guy is doing these policies... I'll be the first to say it. I don't sign on for everything on Donald Trump. I think the guy is a really flawed human being. You'll notice Donald Trump doesn't retweet any of the anything that we've done. He's not even mentioned the chalkboard, which is a great help to him. You know why he doesn't? Because he doesn't trust me. I'm not in his pocket. Hmm. Isn't that a wonderful place to be? Yes. You know why the Washington Post doesn't like to do things? You know why, why uh, Google is, is changing the algorithm to keep things that I produce out of the mainstream? Because they don't trust me. They don't know if I'm an ally or an enemy. What a wonderful place to be. You know how you get there? You call balls and strikes. The hypocrisy this morning of the New York Times to talk about how we, we've we been predicting this, all of the things, I mean, honest to God. God they sounded like they were all of a sudden into predictions we know they don't like predictions we know that that's conspiracy theories if you just take things and do math and take people at their word you, you can't talk about those things those are crazy ideas no, no no today they were talking about Syria and Turkey and how they predicted all of this this was so easy to see Really, was it? Yeah, everybody on Earth, including the White House, saw this mess coming. Everybody saw that. What you'll forget is that many of us a long time ago in almost a dream world now, it's so far away I can't even remember it. What was his name? Did they even have sound and talkies in the movie theater when Barack Obama was in office? Do you remember when some of us said, don't get into bed with these Kurds? These Kurds are not the Kurds in Iran, or I mean in in Iraq. These are bad Kurds. These are communist Kurds. These are terrorist Kurds. And John McCain stood up and told all all of us, oh, no, these are good guys. I remember being on the air at the time saying, no, these aren't good guys. These are bad guys. And we're going to do the same damn thing that we did in Afghanistan with Osama bin Laden. We're going to teach them. We're going to arm them. And they're going to turn against us. Don't do it bad. Do you remember? <laughs> you know what? Ugh, ugh. Do you know what the New York Times actually said today? What you have to understand is the Middle East doesn't like a vacuum. If, if you destabilize, if you destabilize a region, well, somebody will will grow to fill that. Really? Like in Egypt, like in uh, Libya, like in Syria? like in Iraq and Afghanistan, yeah. It only took us two countries to figure it out. You on the left still haven't figured it out. No, you do now. You say you do now. But you're only saying that because it's a way to go against Donald Trump. If you want to go against Donald Trump, go against him on something real and something that is actually something you believe in. Oh, we've got to stop. We have to end these wars. Barack Obama is so wonderful. He wants to end these wars. What do you mean pulling out of Iraq would cause all kinds of problems? No, we have to. He's just trying to bring the troops home. Oh, and then there was problems. Well, of course there's going to be problems, but we have to end these wars. Here's a guy who actually is a dove. Here's a guy his whole life. There's two things I know Donald Trump believes. Well, three himself. He believes in himself. Got it. Two, he believes in trade wars. Got it. He's believed in his whole life. Number three, he doesn't believe in war. His whole life, he has been against almost every war we've ever seen in my lifetime. And he's been on the record So he's your dove, left. He's the one you've been looking for. He's actually doing what Barack Obama promised he would do. And now you don't like it? Oh, yes, because the Middle East, you know, it doesn't like a vacuum. Really? Why don't you tell that to Hillary Clinton when she said, we came, we conquered, he died about Gadi, about uh, um, Ghan. What's his name in Libya? Gaddafi. Why don't you talk to her about that? Why don't you talk to, uh, why don't you talk to, uh, what was her name? Samantha. She's the, the, the wife of the woman, uh, the wife of the guy who uh, wrote Nudge. I haven't talked to her, talked about her for a while. Samantha, somebody or other. Cass Sunstein's wife. She was the one who was pushing. For the instability. Don't talk to me about this, Google and Facebook. You're the ones who intentionally lit the Middle East on fire. And don't, don't say you didn't, because we know, because you were very, very proud of the role you played in the Arab Spring. So don't, please... If you want to come to me and say, hey, we were part of this, like I will. I'll come to you. Hey, I I was actually for the war in Iraq because I know that the real danger there is Iran. And I thought we were going to pop the head of the snake. Well, it didn't turn out that way. Boy, I was wrong. Have you heard anybody in the media say that about the Arab Spring, about Libya, about Syria, about getting into bed and arming these people? No, of course not. Because they're all frauds. I know why I'm listening to them. I'm listening to them because that's part of my job. I just don't know why other Americans still listen to them. The best of the Glenn Beck Program. Hey, it's Glenn, and you're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. If you like what you're hearing on this show, make sure you check out Pat Gray Unleashed, It's available wherever you download your favorite podcasts. On the turkey thing, can I just say this? We all knew this was coming. We knew this was coming. We knew one way or another what was happening with us joining forces with really bad people would come and bite us in the ass. Now it is biting us in the ass. Okay. We knew that for a decade so we can sit here and argue about whose fault it is. I think it's Obama's fault and, and, and John McCain's fault for getting us there in the first place. Others are saying, well, it's Donald Trump's fault for getting us out. Okay, fine, whatever, whatever. Let them argue about it. May I suggest you just join me in doing something about it that matters? Let's just go save these people that are in harm's way. We have people on the ground right now. Let us let them argue it out. There's It's, it's like kindergarten. Let's just do what we have to do and stop waiting around for the stupid government to do it. You want to save these people? We can do it. Just join us, NazareneFund.org. Read all about it. Do your own homework. 100% of every single dollar raised goes to save these people. We have people on the ground right now. Was it yesterday? We got the first, I think, 28 out. We have people on the border. We have people. We've lost operatives trying to save these people. Just help us. Five bucks. Five bucks a month. Nazarenefund.org. Just stop listening to all these arguments of it. And let's just do something good. All right. We have uh, Rob Henderson on. He is a Gates Cambridge scholar, uh, and I know he's a Gates Cambridge uh, scholar because I had to look up the, w- the, w- the second word in the headline of his story, the atavism of cancel culture. And I'm like, it's activism, dummy. And then I realized that it's no, that's actually no, that's it's a- it's atavism. Uh, and I had to look it up. So he went to Yale. I went to Yale. He graduated i didn't i think that's the difference welcome rob uh henderson to the program how are you
2: hi glenn great great to be here
0: uh so (laughs) you sound like you almost believe that too um rob the uh the atavism of cancel uh, cancel culture what you're saying is is this is something that is ancient inside of us it's tribal
2: Right, right. So the way I think about cancel culture is that it's rooted in some of these primitive human drives to obtain social status and in-group solidarity with our peers, as well as to identify our friends and our foes.
0: And we generally go into tribes when we're afraid. I mean, it is, it's human nature. And so when we're afraid of something, we go into tribes. And the deeper we go into the tribe, the... The more we don't listen anymore, and and we lose all sense of proportion and and any sense of nuance, right?
2: Right. Well, you know, tribalism is
0: inherently human. So whether we're in
2: danger or not, we do like to be around, you know, sort of sort of our group, you know, people who we sure. feel comfortable around. Sure. Um, but when we are in danger, we are more likely to to seek people who think like us, who behave like us, and to sort of
0: denigrate people who we're afraid of or who don't agree with us. So tell me what happened to you in 2016 while you were an undergrad at Yale.
2: Yeah, you know, Glenn, I've been concerned about cancel culture for a long time. And, you know, I was actually in the military before I attended Yale for undergrad. And, you know, I'd heard stories about, you know, extra sensitive college students and snowflakes and so on. And I thought a lot of it was probably just the media maybe blowing things out of proportion but then literally within my first two months at Yale, so this was um, the fall semester of 2015, uh, a faculty member named Erica Christakis wrote an email uh, around Halloween telling students that they should communicate with each other more if they're offended by the costumes that they, you know other students choose to wear, um, rather than relying on the university administration to give us guidelines of what costumes we're allowed to wear or not. And the student reaction to her was just pure outrage Um, They targeted her. They turned her into a pariah on campus for essentially defending freedom of expression. And eventually she had to resign um, and basically said that the climate on campus was not conducive to free speech. So she stepped down from her from her positions at the university. And so, okay, so I thought that was weird. Um, I thought, okay, so, you know, maybe this is just a quirk of American universities and that this is just unique to schools in the United States. Um, but then I ar- arrived to the University of Cambridge here in England um, last year. and literally within a few first few months, Jordan Peterson, who's probably the most famous academic in the world, gets disinvited from the university because a bunch of student and faculty protesters said that, you know him him being here would make them feel scared or unsafe or something. <laughs> and so, you know there there is this problem in academia, but then in, in culture more broadly um, about people getting canceled for, You know, things that they say.
0: Can I ask you this, Rob? What uh, you know, the thing that happened at at Yale, um, here's here's a woman who is saying, look, talk to each other, have personal responsibility. Uh, Take this upon yourself to understand. Don't go to don't go to the man. Don't expect the Mm -hmm. the college to do this. This is the exact opposite kind of thinking from the '60s or any kind of, of real movement with the youth, they are they are holding up these it, the government and the administration in that case, and saying, "Yeah, we we should have them do everything for us." Where does that come from? Yeah, you know, it's funny you say that. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I think in an
2: interview, Erica Christakis, the professor who got you know who stepped down at Yale. Um, She actually kind of referred to herself as this kind of 60s liberal, you know, this person who sort of marched with the students and believed in the whole freedom of speech cause. Um, So it's sort of ironic that she's getting targeted now for simply defending freedom of expression. And I think a lot of people from that generation are sort of bewildered at, at what's happening because oftentimes they're the ones being targeted now. Um... But don't, course, you find it,
0: don't you find it additionally strange that in an era where your voice can be heard, you have the power to be heard and to be seen anywhere around the world, that you have the power to start your own business unlike any other time in the world, and you can become famous unlike any other time in the world, that that generation is going back to like a 1950s kind of structure? Well, I think what's happening here, Glenn, is that the ideology
2: and power are afraid of free speech. So, you know, in, in the 50s and the 60s, there there was a sort of perhaps more conservative ideology that held power in the universities and in society, and the group that considered themselves the underdogs, maybe the, the sort of progressives at the time, were fighting for freedom of speech, whereas today, those students who protested back then now have the power, and they're afraid of sort of uprisings of of, um, people who are challenging that. And so I'm not entirely sure that freedom of speech itself is, you know, this bedrock principle, but it's only used as a sort of, uh, as as a weapon against uh, the opposing ideology. Exactly right.
0: So then what happens, Robert? What do we, what is our future hold and how do we get our arms around this? Because as you point out in your article, um, you know, Wait until it's you. You could be next. You point out in the article, that's not enough. That's theoretical to too many people. Even though we're seeing it happen in real time right now, it's still not enough. Right. I don't think that
2: those words, you know, you could be next, which I see a lot on social media and in conversations about cancel culture, I don't think it actually registers for most people, simply because the social rewards of, you know, getting into a mob and trying to cancel someone You know, those rewards are too immediate and gratifying, and the dangers of cancel culture are pretty remote and abstract. I mean, it just isn't um, a sort of salient threat for a
0: lot of people. So Kipling uh, wrote in his poem, The Gods of the Copybook Headings, um, that all these things will happen until terror and slaughter return, Uh, And what he was talking about was you're just going to go off the deep end, but it will take terror and slaughter to return to common sense. Uh, And we've seen this time and time again. Are we at that point to where the only thing that's going to stop this is just I mean, people didn't understand it in the 1920s. Hey, you could be next. But by 1939, pretty much everybody was clear, you know, even those in Germany, pretty clear. Oh, wow. I could be next. Mm-hmm. Is yeah, that, are I'm we at that sure. point to where that's the only thing that's going to stop this stuff is the world going into total madness
2: you know i'm i'm a little bit more optimistic than that Good. i don't think that we're sort of you know, physically in danger, but I do think there's a lot of reputational danger at stake here. You know, people aren't necessarily fearing for their personal physical safety, despite what a, lot, what a lot of like social justice activist warriors will try to tell you. You know, it's not physical safety, it's more a reputational safety, you know. Any one of our reputations could be destroyed in the blink of an eye for something that that we might have said, you know, 10 years ago. You know, you, you see a lot of people digging up old tweets or old Facebook posts that you, you might have written in like 2009. Um, So I think it's more the reputational destruction that's the real risk here. Um, But I think that as we continue to talk more about this and bring these these issues to light, that people will slowly come to their senses. But in the meantime, I don't really see cancel culture going away. I think that it's going to get quite a bit worse before we start to see it get better.
0: Uh, Rob, thank you so much and really appreciate um, you uh, speaking out and 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 risking your own reputation. I'm sure you've had pushback. Have you not?
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've had a had a few critics here and there,
0: but I just brushed them off. Yeah. Good for you, Rob. Thank you so much. Rob Henderson. You can find him at Rob K. Henderson. Uh, Follow him on uh, Twitter. Thank you so much, Rob. Appreciate it. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program. Hey, it's Glenn. And if you like what you hear on the program, you should check out Pat Gray Unleashed. His podcast is available wherever you download your favorite podcast. Hi, it's Glenn. If you're a subscriber to the podcast, can you do us a favor and rate us on iTunes? If you're not a subscriber, become one today and listen on your own time. You can subscribe on iTunes. Thanks. Mr. Bill O'Reilly. We have the impeachment moving forward. Mitch McConnell is starting to do private classes on what's going to happen. Uh, if the impeachment moves over to the Senate, they're saying now that it looks like it's going to be done by Christmas time. I don't know if I buy that. Schiff pulled, uh, pushed Volker yesterday. There was a, a fight in the cabinet room. This is nuts. Where do you want to begin, Bill?
1: Let's begin with the Yankees Astros uh, (laughs) playing tonight um, and Gale Force wins. Right. Um, Look, Beck. All of this, you're taking it, you and Stu, too seriously. You're taking it too seriously. The fix is in. And you want to know what's going to happen? I'll tell you right now. So that when you go on your vacation with your wife over the weekend, you can have a lovely time without thinking about any of it. Oh, I'm you ready.
0: I gonna Even if you tell me we're all going to be sucked into a black hole in a week, I'm still not going to think about it this weekend. All but right, go
1: good. Um, so Nancy Pelosi now is in a corner and has to do some kind of um, vote on impeachment. Mm-hmm. Because she can't just say, oh, never mind. We really don't have anything. Can't do that. She's not, it's going to squeak by, there'll be, I don't know, 20, 25 defections on the Democratic side, even though they'll be threatened by Ms. Pelosi with a cutoff of all their campaign funding. There there will be. And then McConnell knows that when it comes in, there's nothing there. So he's already canvassed. I don't think there's going to be any Republican senators voting for conviction. Maybe the crazy woman up in Alaska, Murkowski. Oh.
0: Will they vote to hear it and do a trial?
1: What they'll try to probably do is McConnell. He has all these arcane things that he learned from Martin Van Buren that we don't <laughs> know anything about.
0: You mean right? when when uh, when uh, McConnell was about forty, learning yeah, at the knee? You know, of, yeah. I
1: mean um, Millard Fillmore told him <laughs> right. something, and we have no idea <laughs> right. what that is. <laughs> right. So he'll, he'll have some parliamentary stuff go, well, you know, really don't need the trial. Uh, let's just take a vote. He'll <laughs> do something like that.
0: But why not? I mean, the if, they, if there isn't anything there, why not just go through the trial?
1: I don't think that the, uh, the Senate wants to dignify it, and they, and they know the media is going to use it every hour on the hour to try to damage Republicans. So they think they want to get it out of there. And, you know, the, I, what do they have, three or four months off for Christmas? They don't want to delay that. They want to just get it done and then come back and start the campaign in January.
0: Doesn't that give the the left more fuel to say, look, they're just burying it? We found evidence, and they buried it. Why not just Depends do the, the trial? Evidence
1: is. What? what the evidences? You got you got to have something to show the American people. What do you got now? You got well, Rudy Giuliani may have gone over there and, and said something mean. Uh, okay, um, if they have evidence, if there
0: is. Uh, I know, but that's different. that's why I would have the trial. I would say, <laughs> I would I would say, I just, Your oh, yeah, Honor I mean, and the look. American people, uh, did you hear what their evidence was? But you know how the media is going to spin it. You
1: know they're not going to report accurately what happens at the trial. So why even bother with it? You, you know we're living in a country now where you just can't get. Any reality-based reporting
0: at all. But that would not be covered live. That would be the most watched thing of the Trump administration.
1: But you, how many Americans are going to sit there and watch it live? I mean, they're not. They're dependent upon a summation at the end of the day. And they're not going to get an accurate summation. Anyway, I know McConnell. I know how he works. I know how he thinks. He thinks that this is a waste of time. And he wants to get rid of it, and that's what he'll do.
0: Okay, Um, let me go to Rudy Giuliani. Uh, Rudy Giuliani. Now, there are four people connected to Rudy Giuliani have been arrested, and uh, it's almost as if the Southern District uh, of New York is is working for the impeachment uh, committee. Uh, Do you have any doubt? that Rudy Giuliani uh, is clean here, or is there, are they just sending a message? Hey, Rudy, we'll get to anybody in your life, and we're going to take you down. What, what is happening with this?
1: Well, they don't like Rudy Giuliani in the uh, federal office in Manhattan. I think we start there. They don't like him. Um, Rudy Giuliani ran a firm that hired itself out to foreign governments, always a problem. Mm -hmm. But he made a lot of money and he would travel to places like Mexico and Ukraine and other countries and he would get involved, Rudy would, in their local political situation. Another huge problem. Mm -hmm. In doing so, he would deal with Vladimir and Jose and all these people who Rudy Giuliani had no blanket idea what they were up to
0: okay so hang on just a second isn't that exactly what greg craig did as the the private attorney yeah, for he, president he was, obama uh, he
1: was he was acquitted uh greg craig of his uh, whatever but what i'm trying to tell you is there is nobody on the face of the earth that can get through this labyrinth and know exactly what rudy giuliani did or did not do this is all private conversations Under the uh, banner of I have a private company, I'm making a ton of money. These uh, countries are paying uh, me a lot of money, and they want me to do X, Y, and Z. And we don't know what X, Y, and Z is. We don't know who we dealt with. We don't know why these guys are arrested. We don't know anything. And the feds aren't real anxious to tell us. So that's where we stand on that.
0: So at one point, I was invited over to Italy to have a private meeting with the Prime Minister of Italy. This is at the height of the Tea Party. And it was Berlusconi. And he, he wanted to start his own tea party. And while I was flattered to be asked, I, 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 I remember having the team meeting and going, this is insane. First of all, you don't, as a government official, you don't start a, you know, a tea party thing. Um, and uh, I don't want to get involved. And, uh, you know, I I worried how it would look and everything else. Although I thought free trip to Italy and meet with the prime minister, that'd be fun. Uh, I didn't do it. Sh- shouldn't, shouldn't these people have better common sense?
1: Well, when you're going to make $5 million a year, common sense leaves the building. Giuliani wanted to make money. This is the way he could do it. So he did it. And I don't know what whether he hired attorneys to say, well, you can do this, you can't do that. Like, I've never been invited by a foreign head of state to do anything. Mm-hmm. In fact, they don't want me in their country. Mm-hmm. And they send me postcards <laughs> saying, hey, Bill, don't come
0: to Iceland, yeah. okay? I've, I've kind of had – that's more my experience now.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, yeah. since you linked up with me, mm-hmm. I mean, we're yeah. both persona non grata. Mm-hmm. Although we will be in Israel, and that'll be a, an event, be I, an I event. can guarantee it. And that will it. be. Yeah.
0: Um, let um, me ask you this: When they're talking now, well, I, I want to come back to Schiff and Volker uh, yesterday, but they're talking now, and I've heard the rumors that uh, John Bolton. Uh, was very upset he was on the phone call and he was very upset and that's one of the reasons why he was let go by the Trump administration and uh, he threw a tantrum uh, after that phone call and now they're going to that they're they're going to call him and I saw the story today it's increasingly increasingly likely to get a subpoena uh, to John Bolton for these these secret hearings which are not secret Uh, do you know anything about the John Bolton side of this story
1: All I know is that the story had an anonymous source attached to it, right? Mm -hmm. There's no so-and-so said Bolton did there, so-and-so was in the room. None of that, right? It's just sources close to the situation, say. So I discount this stuff. I throw it in the anonymous sources bucket, which is overflowing. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I don't think Bolton was real happy being uh, canned. Uh, as a national security advisor. I don't, I don't think he no, was. No, no,
0: no, but they said he was on the phone call, that he well, was and, one you know, of the people. if he was
1: on a phone call, then he has to tell the truth about it, right?
0: Yep. yep.
1: Okay, so let's go. Tee him up.
0: So do you have I, any problem? I prob- the truth. Do you have any problem? I mean, I, I, I was talking to my team yesterday, and, and we were saying, look, I, I want you to follow through all of the stuff on Rudy Giuliani and John Bolton and all yeah. of this stuff. Follow it. Because if that's where the story is... I know that there is a story about corruption in Ukraine about the DNC. So follow that. But also follow, because if it turns out both sides are dirty, I want both sides exposed.
1: Yeah, let's know. I mean, uh, that's always been my philosophy, and that's why I'm incredibly successful. (laughs) Because, I I mean, I want to know the truth.
0: And humble. And humble. I just want to point out.
1: Humble is is through the eye of the beholder. (laughs) Some might say that demanding the truth is an act of humility. Because you don't want other people to be deceived. Therefore, you're putting yourself in the arena on behalf of those other people. which is all Yeah, and right. as
0: long as you're willing to look at the other side and say, hey, maybe I'm wrong, let's, let's explore it. There is nothing more humble than that because I don't have to be right. I don't want to be yes. right. I want the truth to be exposed. But that's a different right. kind of humility than the one I was talking about. Bill, did you read the transcript of the uh of the, the secret interrogation uh between Schiff and Volcker. No. Okay. You need to read it. I mean first thing I, I want to know is if it's a secret if it's a secret uh meeting and in, investigation, how come I get the transcript? Uh, it's not so secret, is it? Uh but in it, uh he is he's talking to Volcker, who is the United States special representative to Ukraine and they were expecting him to say, uh, no, it, yeah, Ukraine was 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 pressured into this by Donald Trump. And they were really, oh, my gosh, they were really afraid of what to do. And uh, they have him on the text messages going back and forth to the EU ambassador who's saying, I don't think we should be pressuring another country to do things like this. And he's responding the whole time going, no, that that's not what. That's not what he was saying. That, that, that didn't happen. Nobody feels that except you, and that's not what's going on. Schiff got him and tried to force him to say that Trump was intimidating Ukraine, and he wouldn't fold.
1: Well, if that's the transcript, I think it should go right to the House Ethics Committee. And, you know, this guy Schiff's in trouble, by the way. Um, his public opinion, uh, public profile, I mean, it, there's nobody that doesn't hate Trump, who likes him and and trusts him. Nobody. So I think he's destroyed his career, his credibility. And um, if indeed he tried to, you know, browbeat a witness, um, the ethics committee should get that.
0: Uh, Let me go to uh, the weird meeting in the cabinet room yesterday uh, between Donald Trump and Nancy Pelosi uh, and Chuck Schumer. All the, the cabinet room was full. The president was sitting there. They started accusing the president of just you know, being a heartless murderer and killing all these people, the, the uh, defenseless Kurds. He says, according to uh, the president, he said, well, you know, um, these are communists. These guys are all communists. And maybe you guys don't mind that so much. Uh, Nancy Pelosi, the picture show, stood up and started pointing her finger and yelling at the president. They leave, storm out of the uh, the cabinet room, and then uh, hold a press conference, her and Chuck Schumer, where she says we have to have prayer for Trump's health because he had a very serious meltdown. What do you, what do you think happened here?
1: Well, let me ask you, is Stu's still there. Is he, you yep, slap him, wake him up?
0: I'm,
2: uh, b- 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 hello? Yes, what? Hi, Bill? Okay, interesting.
1: <laughs> um, let me ask you two a question. When you heard this story last night, did you believe that President Trump had a meltdown?
2: No. They say he has a meltdown in
1: every five minutes. Okay.
0: Yeah, but I well, mean, Donald I Trump it, is, I mean, he is a volatile guy, so yes, did he have a guys, mental breakdown? Is what well, they were trying to say well, is he was mentally unstable? I don't believe that right, at all. Right,
1: right, 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 right. But the point of the matter is that the bigger point is this: when I heard the story, I didn't instantly said bull. That was my first reaction. Bull. All right, because the media lies every two seconds about Donald Trump, and so do Pelosi and Schumer. Now, then Trump says today, well, Nancy had a meltdown. And I say, well, the Secret Service guys had a meltdown, and the guy cutting the lawn had a him, everybody melted down. It's so absurd, but my point is you can't get any accuracy of it. So let's just get real. Number one, Nancy Pelosi hates Donald Trump. Number two, Donald Trump hates Nancy Pelosi. They're never going to get along. They're barely civil, and Trump probably insulted her. All right? Yeah, I guarantee it. One. Trump
0: said that. Trump said yeah, that he did.
1: He probably said you're a third-rate politician yes, or whatever. Yes, Okay. All right, that's number one. Number two, Donald Trump, in my opinion, made a mistake in blowing this Kurd Syria thing up. All he had to do was tell the Pentagon, hey, if American troops are going to get caught up in this thing between Turkey and the Kurds, get them out. Move them somewhere else, back to uh a base 25 miles away he didn't have to do this this is another unforced error because he had to know that any kind of troop withdrawal in those areas is going to make somebody mad
0: okay so the mainstream media today is saying what did what did he get from erdogan what what did trump personally benefit from uh,
1: He got a vacation. Yeah, uh, I know. one of the. Uh, so what, so why did he, he make?
0: Hummus, why did he make, Why did he make this move? In your opinion, because
1: he doesn't want any American forces on the ground in the Middle East.
0: But he at the doesn't same want it but he at the same time increased forces uh, Saudi Arabia in 2000 s- yeah extra troops there well
1: he ha- he had he has to do some of that for economic reasons primarily and for the fight against Iran I he see. doesn't he campaigned quite clearly and this is in the United States of Trump he, he campaigned quite clearly and we're tired of fighting everybody else's battles you know that we're tired of this Oh, we want NATO to pay its own way. We want other people to help us out. we got to get out of there. That's why he did it. But the timing was terrible. You know, you got to calm it down, Mr. President. Let's calm it down. He has such an opportunity, and I hope we talk about this in our last segment, with these crazy Democrats. I mean, these people are insane. What an opportunity he has. And, and yet he gets caught up in the weeds of the Kurds versus the Turks. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense to me. You can do this stuff. You don't have to blow it up into a major controversy.
0: All right, back with Bill O'Reilly in just a second. The name of his book is The United States of Trump, and it really explains how Trump sees the United States and the world. You want to understand his decision-making. You don't even have to agree with it. But if you want to understand his decision-making, you should read this book by Bill O'Reilly. It's available every day.
1: This is the best of the Glenn Beck
0: Programme. Like listening to this podcast? If you're not a subscriber, become one now on iTunes. And while you're there, do us a favor and rate the show. Charlie Kirk, the founder and executive director of Turning Point USA, national student movement dedicated to identifying, organizing, and empowering young people to promote the principles of free markets and limited government. Charlie, I was up in uh, Chicago a couple of weeks ago, and there was uh, I gave a speech, and I think there was a table of maybe 15 or 20 of the, uh, the people that are in Turning Point. And uh, I asked one of my guys, I said, go go grab those guys and, and uh, tell them to wait for a minute. And after the program, I spent like 20 minutes with them. They are, were really bright, uh, uh, really passionate, um, great representation uh, of your group and what you guys stand for. I was really impressed with them.
3: Well, thank you so much, Glenn. I really appreciate that, and you gave a great speech from all accounts. So, and, and thank you. You were speaking against socialism, which is something that uh, we're fighting every single day on high school and college campuses.
0: Yeah, but you're. Country. But but I found out now that really all you are is a front for white supre- white supremacy.
3: So, which is which is such a which is such a. I honestly, it's an insulting accusation. So, at Turning Point USA, we're on 1,400 high school and college campuses across the country. And we recently did an event at University of Nevada, Reno, where the whole effort of the radical students with the help of the administration was to try to paint me and our organization as a white supremacist group. So first of all, this cheapens real racism. Every time I encounter any form of ethno-nationalism, I repudiate it, I reject it. But secondly, it also just shows the misinformation. Because if there is any organization that has done more than uh, most conservative organizations to try to diversify at the reach of uh, the conservative movement, it would be Turning Point USA.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, let's not talk about your black leadership summit. Uh, but but leadership. other than that, what, what have you done?
3: <laughs> right, well, um, you know, the name Candace Owens might ring a bell for a lot of people. She mm-hmm. got her uh, start uh, kind of visibly politically through Turning Point USA a year and a half ago. Our current spokesman is a young man by the name of Rob Smith who is a African-American and black American, but all those things, you know, put aside the, and I really had these conversations with these radical leftists on campus. And I realized no matter how much I denounce or reject racism, that's not what they want. They want me to stop being conservative. That's what it's really all about.
0: Well, Charlie, I mean, I, I I think you're making a, a decent point here, but you are one K away from being the Klan. You have two Ks already in your last name. You realize that, <laughs> well, don't you?
3: Well, that would make me a Democrat because <laughs> Democrats are part the party of the KKK. And interestingly enough, I tell people, you know, they try to misrepresent President Trump and his movement as being, you know, one that is rooted in racism and hatred and bigotry. However, it's the it's the most fringe elements of the left that are the ones that are not being expelled from mainstream, you know, the mainstream Democrat Party. One thing that we as conservatives pride ourselves on is we expel the demons within our own ranks. The left does no such thing. In fact, they embrace them. So Antifa does not get, um, does not get excommunicated from the ranks of the Democrat Party or from the left uh, at all. In fact, they get embraced and they get protected. When Antifa goes and slams Trump supporters outside of Minneapolis or in the streets of Portland when they attacked Andy Ngo, um, you know, an Asian-American gay journalist. No one gets arrested. However, we as conservatives, we go out of our way to say what we believe in and why we believe in it. And we excommunicate anyone that might might dare to be on the fringes. And it's disappointing that a sitting U.S. senator and once a leading contender for the presidency, I don't think she's in the top tier candidates any longer, but she's in the top five or six goes out of her way to attack a conservative student organization that stands for the principles of e pluribus unum, which of course is the Latin phrase out of many one, free enterprise and liberty. It also goes to show that we are making a significant difference on these campuses. The left gets very troubled when we as conservatives actually play offense and we go to places that they have always previously dominated.
0: So, Charlie, give me some good news on what's happening. I, I, You know, when I was talking to your guys uh, in Chicago, one really struck me, and I spent a few minutes with him uh, by himself afterwards. Uh, He came up and he he shook my hand afterwards and said, thank you, you know, your support really means a lot. And his eyes teared up. And he said, I have been uh, targeted by my school and I had to go into a special class uh, and I have been ostracized because... I am a conservative. And he said, no one is standing up. He said, and he was really a kind guy. And he said, I just really want to give up at times because it's just so hard. I just am so alone. To give me yeah, some good so news on what's happening,
3: I will. And so I find that the campus radicals are decreasing in size, but they're increasing in volume. So they get a lot of attention. really an unwarranted amount of attention, such as Senator Kamala Harris attacking our organization, but they're not increasing their ranks. And I have evidence for this, Glenn. So the reason why Senator Harris is so upset at Turning Point USA is that she spoke at University of Nevada Arena two weeks before we did at Turning Point USA. She had a measly 300 students show up to her event. We had standing room only, well over 1,000 students, and we had to add more chairs in the back of the room. Overflow crowd. So a, a... Once leading contender for the United States presidency and sitting U.S. senator from a neighboring state can only draw a couple hundred students at a very liberal campus. And we're packing up auditoriums with overflows amounts of students. I'll give you another piece of optimism is that students, I'm being met more with curiosity than combativeness. There is a growing trend on these campuses where students want at least to hear another opinion. Our biggest issue as conservatives is that we don't get enough people to hear the truth that that we espouse it's not even a matter of it's not even a matter of that we need to do a better job of marketing or messaging it. at times i believe we do i think actually thanks to digital and social media we're doing a better and better job of that yeah. Glenn, i you know i sent you a message of how terrific your ukraine video was i can't tell you how many students sent that to me and complimented uh, you and said now i have more clarity on this very complex issue and so we're getting better and better as a movement you know around that however it's a matter of distribution it's a matter of reaching students, because when we actually reach students, we find that they get uh, convicted and they get converted towards our side, and so uh, it's an issue that where students are much more curious than they are combative, and that should be a call to action to all your listeners that we need to spread our message, you know, to more campuses and more students all across the country.
0: So do you see any, besides uh, uh, besides Bernie Sanders, on campuses, do you see anybody that is really rallying around any of these candidates is there a, a barack obama in the in the the mix here that we're missing cuz they all just seem crazy radical that don't don't appear to be anybody that can connect with anyone
3: hard to disagree with that the two candidates that i that i've been talking about for months and people thought i was a little a uh, little on the fringe when I said this, but I, I said Senator Elizabeth Warren and Pete Buttigieg. I've been saying that since May. Mm-hmm. And each each of them kind of catered to a different type of college audience. And Senator Warren, she's a college professor. You know, she she is the Woodrow Wilson of this generation, uh, who is, of course, a former Big college president time. at Princeton University. And she she wants to become the philosopher king of America. I'm sorry, philosopher queen of America. And I even wrote a piece about this where she, she believes that if you give her enough power, she can fix... Society's ills, just another committee, just another bureaucracy, just another pe- couple pieces of legislation that erode freedom and liberty. Charlie, how, really old are you,
0: how, how old are you? Just... Um, I just turned twenty-six. I want to thank you so much for knowing who Woodrow Wilson is. Thank you, thank you. Thank <laughs> I, you.
3: I learned I learned about him from you and yeah. your great books.
0: <laughs> his, crazy, my teenagers. Yeah, um, and then finally, of course, Pete Buttigieg, who is a
3: little bit more of the, the students that think that America is too divided. Pete Buttigieg is a much more effective Alinskyite than Senator Warren. Pete Buttigieg pretends to be something that he isn't. You notice that he takes a stand against massive gun confiscation or attacking people's uh, religious liberties. He is exactly the same philosophically as Senator Elizabeth Warren. He just pretends to be someone he isn't a lot better because he's had to in the Rust Belt of the country. And I say that Senator Elizabeth Warren is very popular in the coffee room, uh, the coffee club in Harvard or the wine club in beverly hills or the or the whiskey bar in washington dc but you have to be able to resonate at the deep you know the deep fryer the deep chicken fryer in des moines and i don't know if senator warren can do that as well as someone such as you know a midwestern candidate pete Buttigieg. heller i think there is limitations on his Mm -hmm. appeal with older audiences so those are the two candidates that have a lot of appeal on campuses senator sanders has far less Grassroots support this time around than he did last time, mm. um, and I and I do tell people though that if Senator Warren um, it does become the nominee, do not discount her at face value. Uh, you know, she there's far more socialists in this country than I think we realize. We have to take her just as seriously oh. as any other candidate, and oh, I, I, I actually find Glenn very quickly that people think it's going to be an automatic victory if it's a Senator Elizabeth Warren in the conservative movement. Mm -mm. I do not agree with that, and I think she'll actually be a lot more more difficult than people realize. Charlie, you have Glenn coming down to a conference soon in Florida, is that right? We do. Yeah, thank you for mentioning that. We're so excited to have Glenn come down to our largest and the largest conservative student event ever in the history of the country. Uh, So it's called our Student Action Summit. Uh, the website is com slash S-A-S. It's in Palm Beach, December uh, 19th through the 21st. And Glenn is uh, one of our keynotes, and we're so excited. We actually might bring out a chalkboard so that Glenn can explain how all this, you know, left-wing indoctrination and propaganda began. But these are the front-line student activists. These are the high school and college kids that are taking a beating every day. And you heard it firsthand, Glenn, of our grassroots warriors yeah. in, um, in Chicago. I have a—
0: I have a barn burner for you. I have a barn burner for you that uh, I think will, will really uh, empower a lot of people that are, that are coming.
2: And, and Charlie, I we... think you know, listening to Glenn say the, the term barn burner makes me wonder, have you ever had anyone as old as Glenn <laughs> at one of these conferences? Are you concerned that they might not even... Well... No, thank you.
3: well, thank so you. we, we it's, Glenn is young in spirit, right? <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm starting to be talked about like
0: this now. Holy cow. All right, Charlie, thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much and Chris. thank you for what you guys are doing. And hats off to sincerely. I, I was kind of alone for a long time saying, don't disregard the millennials. There, There are a lot of millennials that are not like the ones that are getting these bad names. And you are showing them. And, and I, I love watching your videos because I see these giant crowds uh, that you are talking to and, and, and people that, that your organization is talking to. And you're reaching people. And that is critical if we're going to keep a republic. Thank you so much, Charlie. Thank you, Glenn. The Blaze Radio Network. On demand.